July 4th, 1986. Do you remember where you were, if you were alive? The only reason I remember was my family went to see the centennial celebration of the Statue of Liberty. Now, it was a great and grand celebration over several days. And on the morning of July 4th, on the Hudson River, my family went and saw, which at the time was the largest flotilla of tall ships. That evening, we went to my uncle's office building to watch the 30-minute fireworks show. It's incredible. The largest display of fireworks in American history. Launched from 30 barges, people from both New York and New Jersey lining the different parks and streets and office buildings to watch it. And of course, the millions on TV. To prepare, two years earlier, there was a massive effort to restore and fix up Old Lady Liberty for her 100th birthday, right? Standing for 100 years in New York's harbor had taken its toll on the copper-lined and steel structure. The day before, President Reagan had symbolically relit her torch from the flight deck of the USS John F. Kennedy by hitting a button, and it shot a light, a laser light at the torch. It was really neat to be there. Though, to be honest, I don't remember a ton. After all, I was only 13 years old. You don't need to do the math. Uh, but I was a long time ago for me. And maybe you've never heard of the celebration called Liberty Weekend. I'm sure it cost millions, let alone the restoration cost of a 100-year-old statue in the middle of a harbor. Dignitaries from the US and France and celebrities and, and all sorts of people watching and coming to celebrate this great symbol of American liberty. Where in decades past, immigrants were greeted as they disembarked onto Ellis Island. And today, millions of visitors tour the Statue of Liberty. Yet, as grand as the statue is, and as much as it celebrates American liberty, this morning we're going to be reminded of a far greater light than the statue's torch, and a far greater freedom than any nation will grant, and a kingdom that doesn't need restoration, but a kingdom that will continue to grow and one day triumph over all the earth. So if you would turn with me to Mark chapter 4, verses 21, uh, if you're using the Bibles in front of you in the chairs, it's on page 839. Now, before we start reading the passage, I wanted you just to notice a few things. That Jesus is exclusively talking to the, the disciples. We know that because verse 21 follows the previous section where Jesus explained the parable of the soils to the disciples. In verse 11, he states, and he said to them, the same thing he says in verse 21. Well, in verse 10, the passage explains that when Jesus was alone with the 12 and those around him, they asked him about the parables. Then verse 13, and he said to them, where he explains the parable of the soils. So we have no change in audience in verse 21. So Jesus is talking to the disciples, explaining to them and to us the kingdom of God. So three more things that we're going to teach us this morning uh, about the kingdom of God that Jesus has for us. And you can see them in my outline. Number one, the revealed kingdom, where he gives us two parables, one about the lamp not being hidden, and the other the parable of the measure where he will explain that those who accept the kingdom of God will be given more understanding of Christ's kingdom. Number two, the growing kingdom, that we are to be faithful to sow the word, but leave the results to God because he will cause the growth. And we can be confident in our witness because of this, since one day he will return for the joyful harvest when we are in Christ shall rise to be with him face to face. And finally, number three, the triumphant kingdom, that the kingdom of God will be triumphant, eternal, and great. That no kingdom of men can compare to it, for Christ will rule and reign forever. So if you follow along as I read 
Mark chapter 4, verse 21 through 34. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has, he has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown in the ground is the smallest of all the seeds in the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So Jesus begins by talking about the lamp, how lamps are used for light. Now that seems obvious. That would be like putting up Christmas lights and not turning them on. This is what Jesus continues teaching his disciples and us, that you bring out a lamp to show light. You don't hide it under your bed or put it up a lamp and not turn it on or light it. You don't cover it up like the old Sunday school song, and I won't sing it for you, but you remember it. Maybe you don't hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. There we go, right? Uh, so then what is this lamp? It's the message of the kingdom. That's the point of Mark 1.15. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus is clearly stating the lamp. The gospel is meant to be seen, to be proclaimed. As stated earlier in Mark, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom has come. Jesus is the light of the world. It is meant to be shown, to be proclaimed to all nations and to all people. But wait a minute. Doesn't it seem like Jesus keeps saying to hide it under a bushel? I mean, in Mark especially, he keeps telling the demons and the disciples to not reveal the truth of who he is. And that is why he just told us in verse 11 and 12, the reason he speaks in parables, that the secret of the kingdom has been given to you, the disciples. But to those on the outside, everything is in parables. So what is going on here? Is it to be revealed? Is it to be proclaimed? Is it the light of the world, or is it to be concealed and hidden under a bushel? Well, listen again to verse 22. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So the point is, sometimes things are hidden in order to be revealed later. When we celebrate Christmas, we don't reveal or show our presence till Christmas morning. When stuff comes from Amazon, I tell my family or my kids, hide it from my wife so she doesn't get to see it while I'm at work. Why? Because it's to be hidden for a time. Then I wrap it up and open them up on Christmas Day. You keep it wrapped. You don't keep it wrapped forever. No, its purpose is to be revealed, but revealed at the right time. So being hidden for a season serves a purpose. So the kingdom should be temporarily hidden for a time from people who are rejecting the gospel, 
but revealed to the disciples who are embracing the gospel. Yet, the very act of concealing the gospel, hiding it under a bushel from those who rejected the message, those who were blind, those on the outside, who were, was all part of God's plan. So those purposes will be fulfilled at the perfect time. And even further, the very rejection is used by God to accomplish his, person, his purposes. Listen to Acts 2.22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified, killed by the hands of lawless men, God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You see, God's definite plan, using the very ones who rejected him, the ones whom the kingdom was hidden from, who did not want to see or hear the truth, were used to accomplish his purposes. And like Christmas morning, when it is time to unwrap the presents, the resurrection will be proclaimed everywhere and the kingdom is no longer hidden. It is to be proclaimed boldly and clearly, like a lamp shining in the darkness. The light is being displayed and proclaimed in all the world. Now Jesus continues in verse 24 and 25. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus is saying, you get back what you give. In other words, what you put into something is what you get out of it. I want to emphasize, though, that this is not about earning something, but this is about loving something. And in response, you put more into it and get more out of it. So it's kind of like my neighbor's vegetable garden. So Eric and I, my wife, were walking the other day, and some neighbors called us over to share some of their produce from their backyard garden. Now, we live in town, so our yards aren't that big, yet this neighbor had vegetable gardens everywhere. Think of Steve Linskin's. Tomatoes, kale, dinosaur kale, mushrooms, garlic, onions, lettuce, beans, bok choy, basil, and Thai basil. I didn't even know that was such a thing. So he put in a six-foot-high fence to keep the deer out. Why? Because he enjoyed it. He starts in winter growing produce from seeds. He spends hours tending it, weeding it, preparing the soil, composting. And he doesn't sell it or even earn a living from it. He gets out of it what he puts into it. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more added. And this neighbor with his garden had tons, and he loved what he was doing. In fact, he would have talked to us all day about it, showed us around, pointed out stuff, explained all the details. Again, why? Because he loved his garden. He's passionate about it. So we, like this amateur gardener, will receive more and more and more out of our relationship with our Savior as we respond more and more and receive more and more from his message because we are responding in love and passion. The same applies to your spiritual understanding. You've heard the word, you've accepted it, believed it. So be encouraged, keep hearing, keep accepting, keep growing as he keeps giving you more and more understanding of the kingdom. In other words, and still more will be added. 
The same goes for you and me. Remember, God loved us while we were sinners, while we were his enemies. So continue to hear the good news. Keep coming to the light of the world. Keep responding to the word, to Christ. So we, keep, so we should keep opening our Bibles, reading them every day, studying them every morning. Come to church regularly. See about joining a life group and meet other Christians to encourage and spur one another on. Look at the disciples. They didn't get it, at least not at first. Remember, Peter tries to stop Jesus. Later on in Mark 9, it states, but they did not understand the saying that Jesus had to die and rise again. And they were afraid to ask him. So they didn't completely grasp that Jesus came to conquer sin, death, and the devil, to bind the strong man so that others could be set free from slavery of, to sin and to spiritual deliverance. Not physical deliverance, not deliverance from Rome. But, what, but when did they completely get it? <clears throat> After the resurrection, when Jesus appeared to them and explained it to them, then the disciples were set ablaze. And what was the result? They went out like gangbusters and proclaimed the kingdom of God. I mean, just read through Acts. It's awesome stuff. But we also have to notice there's a warning at the end of verse 25. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So if you're on the outside, like the Pharisees and the scribes who had God's word, you still need to respond to it. That's what makes you God's people. Not simply being an Israelite by birth or hearing the oracles of God or even sitting here this morning. If you don't respond and accept the word, the seed, the gospel, that then even what you have will be taken from you. The light will not illuminate you if you don't open your eyes. So hear the word and accept it. Now let's think about this together for a minute. Where are we at this point in redemptive history? Are we at the point where the kingdom is still being hidden? No. Jesus has risen. The Chris, is Christmas Day. We're to open and rip open the presents that we've been given, right? We are to proclaim the gospel loudly and clearly. The light shines through us. We are not to hide the lamp. You don't hide the message of the cross, of the kingdom. Jesus has given us a mission. Remember at the end of Matthew. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And then in, earlier in Matthew... Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5, 17. Well, how are you doing fulfilling the Great Commission? Prayerfully and thinking, um, are we being faithfully and true? Prayerfully thinking how to reach out to others? Faithfully sowing the seed of the gospel generously and indiscriminately? Or do we simply hope I'll be ready when or if Somehow the topic comes up. The message shouldn't stay hidden. We are the light of the world because of what Christ has done for us and in us. So let us commit to pray and plan about how to reach our neighbors with the greatest news we can ever share. Or do we hide the lamp under our bed? Maybe we don't really deny Christ, but we kind of keep it hidden. We don't want to make any waves at work. At school, we could be made fun of. At family get-togethers, we may be ostracized because we actually believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Perhaps we feel like our efforts are fruitless, so why bother? We live in New England, after all. No one really believes any of this stuff. If we're honest, don't we sometimes think that way? But let me encourage you. 
that if Christ asked us to proclaim the kingdom, to have it revealed, to be a light to the world, and he is in control of everything, he sits on his throne, then we can take comfort that God will grow the kingdom. He will bring about the results. We are called to proclaim it, but God causes the growth. So take comfort in Jesus' next parable of the growing seed. That is, we witness the kingdom and speak the word, the seed will grow. But not by our effort, but by God's power. His word will not return empty. It will accomplish his purpose. It is God's word, and he will make it grow. So we are called to be faithful, sowing the seed, not controlling the outcome. Now look again at what Jesus says in verses 26 through 29. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So what does the man do? He scatters the seed on the ground, meaning he spreads the word. He is responding to the lamp, to the light of the world, to Christ. And he's responding to the call, to the love of God, and therefore is excited. He's passionate to proclaim the gospel. He goes about his business and proclaims the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, he says. He says, follow Jesus. In him is forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. So what's the point of the parable? Why does it say of the farmer, he knows not how the seed grows? Because it is the work of the Holy Spirit to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus. It is God, by Christ's atoning sacrifice, through the Holy Spirit that draws people to him. So you can take comfort that if you are a faithful witness, God will grow his kingdom. Remember that this is in the same context as the parable of the soils. Yes, some seed fell on the path or the rocky soil or amongst thorns, but you can't control that. You don't know who will and will not respond to the gospel. You don't really know the type of soil the word is being sown in. But you see, some did fall on the good soil. And what did it do? It produced an abundant harvest, 30, 60, even 100-fold, to God's glory and for his kingdom. 1 Corinthians 3 is helpful here. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Jesus is exhorting us to have a healthy view of how this works. You don't need to feel guilty if someone does not respond to the gospel. It is God's work, not ours. This is true even if we have loved ones who have not trusted Christ. So be faithful to share the gospel, but trust God for the results. Of course, this doesn't mean we don't think and present the gospel as clearly as we can. As it says in 1 Peter, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So we passionately appeal to people to come to faith. We be courageous and confident in our conviction that Jesus does offer salvation, but it's not up to us if they follow Christ. We are called to remain faithful to our witness, both in word and deed, but leave the results up to God. Additionally, we can be patient. God will work in his good and perfect time. It is easy to get impatient and want to see immediate results. 
It also frees us not to worry over the results. We don't have to be anxious if our arguments are not just right. We don't have to try and coerce people to make a decision or check some box in a card or raise a hand or come forward in a church service. We can trust God's power to do his will and be faithful to be a witness, an ambassador for Christ. And sometimes it takes years for a person to come to faith. I mean, just as Linda shared 15, 20 years ago. Or how about this? Listen to this story from the Puritan paperback, The Mystery of Providence. Luke Short was a farmer in New England who attained his hundredth year in exceptional vigor. Though without having sought peace with God, one day as he sat in his fields reflecting upon his long life, he recalled a sermon he had heard in Dartmouth as a boy before he sailed for America. The horror of dying under the curse of God was impressed upon him as he meditated on the words he had heard so long ago, and he was converted to Christ 85 years after hearing John Flavel preach. So God can obviously take a seed sown 85 years ago and still cause it to germinate. But that doesn't get us off the hook to simply sow the seed. No, we should be sowing the seed all the time. Verse 27, you can see that the man sleeps and rises night and day. So he's working every day in his field, the field where God has placed him. He is faithful where God has put him to do his part, and we should do the same. We are called to proclaim the kingdom, to shine the light of the kingdom that he has given to us, to put it out for all to see, right where we are, in our neighborhoods, where we are working right now, at our kids' activities, while we're at study hall or at school or hanging out with friends on campus. So we don't take the summers off or from sharing the gospel. We are called to be ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So what do we do? We preach the word. We study the word at Wednesday gatherings. We pray the, at the word at prayer meetings. We call sinners to repent, just as Jesus did. We invite people to kids' venture, to men's breakfast, to youth group, to crosswalk, to women's R&R. We invite people into our homes to have tea or lunch, to share the hope that is within us. We talk with those when we're at soccer games or community events. We are intentional and strategic, but we relieve the results to him. And in good time, he will bring in the harvest through the ordinary means of grace that we find in our week-to-week -week life, individually, as a church, and in our small groups. As I've been thinking over this passage these past few weeks, something else has struck me about the farmer. It's not really a glamorous job. It's not new and exciting. It's simple, mundane, maybe even monotonous work. You get up, you work, you go to bed. You get up, you, you work, you go to bed. Now, I'm not trying to make you depressed, but I do think that we sometimes look too often for what is new and exciting. We look forward to when we can finish college or get married and have kids or retire and relax. Or we look back to our youth, the fun and newness of all the possibilities, or maybe to the good old days. But to be faithful is to be content with where God has us to embrace the ordinary day-to-day -day life most of us live. And that is where we can find joy, and is in the day-to-day -day work God has put before us. To sow the seed, and then rest. Rest because he will take care of the growth. The growth in us and in his word, and in others as the seed germinates. He will grow the seed. Listen again to verse 29. But when the grain is ripe, at once he put the sickle he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. 
Here's the result of God growing the kingdom. The harvest. Now, harvests are occasions to celebrate. We still do this today, even though most of us aren't farmers. Have you ever noticed how many uh, fairs there are in the fall just here in Connecticut? I mean, every weekend, starting in August or October, you have the Durham Fair, the Fort Town Fair, the Wapping Fair, the Lebanon Fair, the Potato and Corn Festival, the Goshen Fair, the Haddam Neck Fair, and you could probably think of a dozen others. Well, why? Because it's harvest time, and the crops are being brought in. There's rides and animals and corn mazes, of course, the produce, the apples, the pumpkins, tomatoes, corn, and more. It's a fun time. It's fun to visit. Maybe there's even concerts and displays of giant pumpkins or, or prized farm animals. The point? The harvest is a wonderful and happy time. And that is what Jesus is saying. The seed will bear fruit. The grain is ripe. The harvest has come. What a great day when a sinner repents and comes to Christ. And what a great and glorious day when, when Christ will finally return and bring us all home. Those of us who have accepted the word to be with him for eternity, we should look forward to this day as the old hymn states, And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Okay then, I see that we are to proclaim the kingdom to be a lamp on a stand. I see that we are to be faithful to spread the word and to trust God for the results for the harvest. But where is this going? Imagine the disciples thinking to themselves, but why isn't this happening already? Why aren't more people following Christ, especially the religious leaders? This doesn't make sense to us. They are not getting where this will all end up, that the kingdom will really, what the kingdom will really look like. And that is Jesus' next point. Don't be surprised, disciples, that the kingdom of God starts out small. It will start small, and will, but it will grow. And it will grow slowly, but it will end up being a triumphant and mighty kingdom. This kingdom that God is growing will be amazing. Yes, it's starting small, really small. Think about it. You had just an itinerant teacher with no home and 12 bumbling disciples who left their jobs and a few add-ons. But it will grow to be the most triumphant and the greatest kingdom the world has ever seen. Let's look again at what Jesus says in verses 30 through 32. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So mustard seed is tiny, really tiny. It was common in the first century for the Jews to use it as a proverb to refer to anything that was really, really small. You might even drop the seeds on the ground and have no idea you did that. That's how small they can be. But it grows huge. I mean, 10 to 12 feet tall. If you look up images of a mustard tree or shrub, they dwarf the average adult. So something that starts out tiny but grows to something really big, that's the mustard seed. So that's what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom that Jesus is announcing is going to be bigger than big. It's going to be ginormous. It's growing to be bigger than anything you can imagine. Yes, it starts small, but it grows. And it grows into something so large that birds can nest in its branches. So it may be small now, but it will be the greatest kingdom of the world. The disciples, like all the Jews in the first century, were looking for a Messiah that would throw off the Roman occupiers. 
The idea that the kingdom would start small, like that of a mustard seed, might have seemed shocking or absurd to them. They believed from their reading of the Old Testament that the arrival of the kingdom of God meant the immediate overthrow of the earthly powers of Rome. But let's not be too hasty to judge them for thinking so. I see this in our day and age at times, that if we as Christians vote in the right leaders, that if we get the right judges, the right legislators, then we will turn this nation around. Now, I am not saying you shouldn't vote for good people and work for what is right. And I'm not saying this country doesn't need to repent. What I am saying is we should not get caught up in trying to grow God's kingdom how we want it to be or how we think it should be done. We're not God. But we should, in humility, work hard for what is right, fight injustice. Think of somebody like William Wilberforce. But we should leave the growth to God. Our hope is not in politics or in the next election or even in this nation. No. Our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. We don't take up the sword to usher in the kingdom of God. No, we take up our Bibles and we pray and we preach and we share the good news. Now, Jesus is not saying that there won't be the final consummation of the kingdom, that he won't overthrow all the earthly kingdoms and rulers. Just not yet. Think about all the kingdoms the world has seen. The Egyptians, the Persians, Babylonians, Alexander the Great, the Romans, Genghis Khan, great Chinese empires, the Mayans or Incans or Napoleon or even the British Empire. What has happened to them all? They have all fallen or they're no longer strong and mighty or simply they are not the empires they once were. Memories, history, studied in books or in archaeological digs. And what will be the true, what will, and that will be true of the supposed mighty kingdoms of today. They will all fall. Only God's kingdom is forever, and He will usher it in when He so chooses. So be careful that we don't fall into the same thinking as the first century Jews, looking for a savior from the Roman oppressors. I think we can fall into that same trap and look for a savior through worldly means, politics being just one of them, to make an earthly kingdom that overthrows the evil and sinfulness of our age. But it's Christ is telling us to have confidence in his timing, in his plans, in his kingdom, not ours. So Jesus has taught us that the kingdom is a revealed kingdom. That was the parable of the lamp, that we are to proclaim the kingdom. It is out in the open. It is not to be hidden under a bed or a basket. No, it is to be revealed for all the world to see. Jesus encourages us to stay faithful to the word by reminding us we get back what we put in. That if we have embraced Christ, he will reveal even more spiritual understanding to us. But be warned, if you don't accept the word, even what you have will be taken away. The kingdom of God is a growing kingdom, and we are to follow our calling. And it's a calling for all Christians to go and make disciples by sowing the seed, but not to be anxious or to worry about the results. That is up to God. He will grow the kingdom how he desires. That things may get worse around here, but he promises to come back and fully establish his kingdom, to reap the harvest for his glory, for his kingdom. The kingdom may look small at the beginning, but will be a great and glorious kingdom, that it will grow, like the mustard seed that is so small, into something so large, into the triumphant kingdom. Now look at how Jesus closes this section. This is verses 33 and 34. 
With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Now, Jesus was obviously teaching in parables to conceal the gospel from some, but that is not true this morning. All these parables are being explained so that you can respond to them right now, unbelievers and believers alike. Remember the Statue of Liberty and this huge celebration in 1986? Lady Liberty shining her light for all to see, for all those who have come to these shores. Fireworks and festivities for tens of thousands of people to enjoy. The statue is a symbol that has drawn people here from all over the world. To America, land of the free, home of the brave. But I ask you, whose lamp is brighter? Whose lamp will remain? Whose lamp is truly the beacon of eternal hope? The Statue of Liberty and what she represents, or Christ and his light and his kingdom, his eternal and triumphant kingdom. So I ask again, can American liberty save you from your sins? Will America always be a beacon of a better life? America is not the kingdom of God. So I ask you, if you're on the outside, are you, under, are you understanding the parables or will you indeed see but not perceive? lest you should turn and be forgiven. This offer is universal for all people, for you and for me. The good news of the gospel is that you can be forgiven of your sins, have the hope of eternal life, and be a joyful member of the kingdom of God that will be victorious. Please, hear the word, accept it, follow Christ. Otherwise, where is your hope? In the kingdom of men, or in the kingdom of God. You know what has happened to all the kingdoms of men in the past, great and small, and you know what will happen to the present and future kingdoms of the world. So I ask you, embrace the kingdom of God. Accept the word that is being sown and watch how God will grow you through his work of his spirit. Now, for those of us who have accepted the word, have become Jesus' disciples, this passage this morning is a reminder for you and for me. Keep shining the light. Like Lady Liberty in New York Harbor, no matter what goes on around you, you stay strong. You're firm in your faith in Christ. The storms of life or politics or clashes of earthly powers or simply the challenges of everyday life. The statue is built on a large and firm foundation. Yet how much firmer, how much more secure and eternal is our foundation in Christ. So we can be faithful to be a witness, a light for Christ and his kingdom. Remember, we live in the in-between times. The kingdom has been inaugurated. Jesus came, he died, he rose again and is ascended into heaven and is seated at God's right hand. So keep proclaiming the gospel. Do not cover up the light that Christ has given you. The kingdom is growing and advancing, but it is not fully realized. Jesus wanted his disciples and us to know that the kingdom, the light of the world, will go forth and grow. We need to persevere in proclaiming his word. Like the Statue of Liberty, will we let our beacon continue to shine, pointing others to the kingdom of God? Not because we are great and mighty, just as the Statue of Liberty was a gift we did not save ourselves, but we can be confident in what God has done for us and be bold to proclaim the kingdom of God. To be faithful and true to the call, 
I know I need to be reminded that I am part of a growing and triumphant kingdom. I need to be encouraged to remember what Christ has done for me, a sinner saved by grace, that I am his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, such as witnessing to the gospel, proclaiming the kingdom of God, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So keep at your post, keep proclaiming the kingdom of God, and by God's grace and God's will, our church will grow with more people coming to faith, that we will, by God's grace, plant new churches that will also proclaim the gospel and proclaim the kingdom of God and produce a fruitful harvest. We do this by getting up every day, sowing the seed, sowing the word of faith, where we are right now. Finally, be encouraged with this truth. Christ will return. Christ will come back and usher in the complete and final kingdom. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. The glory of God will be its light. There will be no more tears or mourning or pain. Those things will have passed away. So now let us be a light for the revealed, growing, triumphant, and eternal kingdom of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, to think that you would have chosen to reconcile us to you sinners in need of a great and mighty Savior, that, Lord, we don't even know what we need, that we look for salvation in so many wrong places, but salvation is found only in you, Lord, and that true and eternal abiding hope that we have is in you and you alone, Lord, because you are the one who has saved us to the uttermost. And, Lord, I ask and pray that you would help us to live this out, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.